You're listening to The Zeitgeist, a podcast focused on Germany, the United States, and the transatlantic relationship. Join us as we discuss economics, politics, security, and more. I'm Jeff Rathke, president of the American Institute for Contemporary German Studies at Johns Hopkins University. So I would like to welcome all of our listeners to this episode of The Zeitgeist. Uh, I am here today with uh, Michael Link, who is an FDP member of the Bundestag. Uh, he's been a member of the Bundestag for about 10 years, uh, and he is a member of the party's governing board as well. Um, Michael is the spokesperson of the FDP Bundestag Caucus for European Affairs. He was also the director of the OSC's Office for Democratic Institutions and Human Rights uh, from 2014 to 2017. He was deputy foreign minister before that. Um, he's from Heilbronn in Baden-Württemberg. Um, and most importantly for us, he is a regular visitor to, to Washington, D.C., and we're very pleased to have you with us today. Michael, welcome. Thank you very much, Jeffrey. I'm very pleased to be with you. So what I thought we might start off talking about, um, because uh, I heard uh, you know, r remarks you gave publicly yesterday, and I know you've been having meetings here in, uh, in Washington, and that is about China. Um, you and I were both at the Munich Security Conference. Uh, that was a focus of many of the American speakers there. Uh, we also hosted an event there, AICGS, uh, where we talked with German partners about China. Uh, and you had some ideas yesterday that I wanted to give you an opportunity to mention and, and talk about how those have been received in your meetings here in Washington. Thank you. So my starting point was when I, when I came to Washington that I elaborated a little bit that we on the German side step by step are we're becoming more sensible and sensitive when it comes to Chinese interference in, let's say, uh, in European politics, in national affairs, in different European countries. Um, and especially also, of course, uh, what we have since long, um, um, theft of uh, intellectual property, right. involvement in security issues when it comes to um, telecommunications. So all that led on our side uh, um, in the EU to a growing sensibility and sensitiveness for example, when it comes to now having the new network of 5G yes. in a way, established in a way which uh, is not a, a um, possible victim for Chinese interference in these areas of communication. To put it uh, bluntly, we think on the German side very much, and that is, by the way, cross-party line. Uh, you don't mm -hmm. have you have these discussions more or less in all parties. Um, a development where we say, when we develop 5G, how can we prevent, for example, Huawei, one of the most prominent, of course, uh, exactly. businesses which will be come into play? How can we prevent them to play uh, to have a key? basically for transmitting all sensitive information to Beijing if the security wants it, if the Chinese officials of state security services want it. I think we have understood on our side that we don't have enough technical capacities um, on the EU side to develop something on our own yet. Right. And we see the same in the US. The discussion here is already since long around the topic, Do can we develop 5G without Chinese participation? Why not, and that is my idea, why not do we take up an idea which has been developed also at the Munich Security Conference by many lawmakers from the US to develop something together between uh, the, uh, indeed, the United States of America and the European Union, 
we are both developing our 5G networks. We both have the same security concerns. We share, of course, the same transatlantic values. So why yeah. don't we make a push, a joint push by lawmakers, by parliaments, by US Congress and uh, German Bundestag in order to address uh, our governments to say, let us find a way to forward together mm -hmm. to develop a uh, US-EU alternative 5G network without Chinese participation. Well, I think, you know, you've hit upon something there because uh, a thing that stood out to me in Munich uh, were the the comments by many um, U.S. Uh, officials, including uh, not only the Secretary of State, the Secretary of Defense, but also the Speaker of the House, so on a bipartisan basis, um, telling Europeans that they should say no to Huawei, um, but without really outlining um, what the common transatlantic approach um, might be. Uh, I think Americans also, uh, you know, have the view that we've already banned Huawei and ZTE from our from building our 5G networks. So that demonstrates that it's possible, um, that it's technically uh, possible to do. Um, but on the German side, you know, the next step, if I understand it correctly, there should be legislation um, passed, uh, an amendment to the telecommunications Indeed. law. Indeed. Um, a little footnote there, this was a remarkable turnaround because uh, Chancellor Merkel and her government wanted a purely technical um, solution, which would have avoided all of these, you know, deeper policy concerns you've mentioned, Mikhail. Um, but there was a bit of a rebellion in her own ranks um, and from other uh, parliamentary groups. So, so now there is a need for legislation. How quickly do you see that moving and what do you think the outcome will be? Well, first of all, we make uh, we as uh, as an opposition party from the Free Democrats, we we clearly press for such a legislation, and it's good that uh, finally, also in the Christian Democrats, there there were some 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 uh, loud voices and clear and loud voices voices who said to the government, no, you cannot simply do that in a technical way. We want legislation. We are further pressing for that. The timetable um, is uh, in the uh, set up in a way that we will see the most important discussions this first half of the year in the mm -hmm. coming months. And so I think we should really put our energy together um, from the U.S. side and uh, from the European side. It's not enough to say no, we, we don't want Huawei to have there. We need to develop technolo technological capacities and capabilities together. Um, and that will certainly mean that we need to, to check what we do have. On the European side, it is certainly Ericsson and Nokia and maybe yeah. others. On the U.S. side, there are certainly also important players. We need to sit together with the industry and develop ways how to develop exactly what we need security-wise. Yeah. Um, well, I, I couldn't agree more. I think a, a, a shared transatlantic approach um, is the best way to define how in a modern era we address questions of sovereignty, whether that's national sovereignty, European sovereignty, uh, U.S. sovereignty, that are intensely tied up with technological issues. And this, especially in the time where the leaderships, in, let's say, of the executive branch of government in the U.S., in the White House, and of many of many uh, prime ministers and heads of state on the EU side, sometimes are so much busy with 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 uh, divisions, different views on trade, uh, partially different views of burden sharing in NATO. No, this would be a perfect point, a starting point where we can seek unity again, and we need this because otherwise, China, Russia, and others will simply play us against each other. Yeah. We should not let them play us 
against each other. I think it's, uh, it's certainly hard from an American perspective to see how we can um, reliably forge a collaborative approach with Europe if we're fighting a trade war uh, with Europe at the same time. Absolutely, um, and, absolutely. And maybe from there I would switch to um, European foreign policy, because that was another uh, important topic that has gotten a lot of attention um, through President Macron and his initiatives. Uh, he talked about them at some length uh, in Munich, and um, you know, not only about Russia. So uh, how do you see European policy developing? Um, do, where do you see the strengths and weaknesses of the French approach? And should Germany be more active in, in shaping that together? Um, uh, with uh, with the French and other key European partners? I think it's important to understand why the French go that way right now. They have the impression that, that uh, they always proposed new things, new ideas f f to enhance European integration, and they did not get sufficient answers from Berlin. Indeed, uh, they are very much looking to answers from Berlin, answers from the Chancellor to the proposals of uh, President, President Macron. Um, so, but the, do, the two of them differ very much in style. He is flamboyant. He is full of energy. Mm -hmm. He is full of proposals. She is not, not, not. Uh, let's say attentive, but she, she, she does not prefer the, the these these speeches such as Sorbonne, where you put on the table a new vision. She answers uh, in doses. Uh, she answers uh, very, very slowly. That is certainly a wasted moment because uh, a president as such as Macron, who is really ready to reach out and to give up some, 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 some French huge important issues where they usually never were ready to, 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 for example, to pool their sovereignty with other countries, that is unique. That is for yeah. the first time. Therefore, Macron It's a risk uh, yes. for him as well. And, and Macron is certainly a huge opportunity for European integration. But when he does it, he is, unfortunately, sometimes he does not really understand the psychology of Central Europeans who fear that his bold proposals might, might be too fast for them in order to really find their place in the European Union. So I think Germany's place is here to be a bridge builder between Central Europeans and Scandinavians on the one side mm -hmm. and French and sometimes also Spanish ideas on the other side, where we need to understand that Central Europe is first of all happy to be now in the European Union. They are so-called young or late nations. They are latecomers in their own statehood. They will need more time to give up sovereignty or for pooling sovereignty in the EU. Yeah. You cannot do that overnight. And they especially come with their own historical views, which are uh, very legitimate with regard to Russia, and they simply don't understand, uh, and I share that concern, that uh, the Russian president uh, should be now readmitted in the Council of Europe without any concessions on the sanctions, etc. So they rightly uh, remem remind us that the, that the sanctions which we have done in the EU should be maintained with regard to Russia, and therefore Macron, I think, is in this area a little bit too pushy. Mm -hmm. And I think if you if if I try to look at this from a Polish perspective, um, you know, Poland right now has a very strong relationship with Washington. Um, the defense cooperation, for example, has really um, advanced a lot in the last uh, several years. Poland is investing a lot in its own defense, but. 
Poland's interests are not only in a strong relationship with the United States. Um, it needs to have uh, more than one pillar to its uh, to its foreign policy, and I think there is an opportunity uh, for for Germany um, to play that role, not only uh, to build bridges with France, but to find a way to have a stable uh, and a durable um, European approach. Absolutely, we as free democrats, we always our our liberal DNA. Uh, uh, is that we define uh, um, Europa politik, uh, policy of the European Union, always from one starting point. When we do politics, when we do our relations with Russia or China, we always seek first to find a joint EU position before we speak with Russia and China. And this is one of the, the key mistakes that had been made by Mrs. Merkel with Nord Stream mm -hmm. or by President Macron now with his initiative with Russia, that it has not been closely coordinated inside the EU before. If we want the success of the EU, then we need always to sit together, develop the strategies together and not confront the Poles with a ready-made strategy, but to develop it together with them. That is the key. Mm -hmm. And the same with the Scandinavians. So Germany's role should be, of course, as the largest and the most central state in the European Union, should be one of an integrator and a bridge builder, where we bridge the differences, the huge differences which we have, of course, sometimes in French perceptions and Central Europeans' perceptions. Um, that includes, by the way, also for us Germans, really to give, us, give up some old stereotypes. When France is talking about Northern Africa, Sub-Saharan Africa, it's not about old colonial things. Yeah. No. It's, about, it's about managing, really developing them there and preventing uncontrolled immigration. Uh, and when we speak uh, uh, with Poland, then it's not only about stereotypes on Russia. No, we have to understand that they have legitimate concerns when it comes to history. Their historic experience with Russia is one of aggression right. and intrusion. So that is why Genscher developed at the time the Weimar format, the Weimar Dreieck, the Weimar Triangle. I would like to see our German government... Which is Germany, America. France, Poland, just for our listeners. Exactly. I would see, and I still cannot understand why our German government is not enough reinvigorating this format, because this is the very format where you can create trust inside mm -hmm. the EU, uh, as well as in transatlantic relations. The huge issue is trust. Yeah. And some of our European partners don't trust Germany to be as integrative, really, to build these bridges, which we need to build. Yeah. I want to switch gears because uh, you are uh, a leading uh, politician in the FDP, and uh, there there have been a series of events over the last uh, month or so um, in which the FDP has figured prominently. Um, the, the the start of it, of course, was uh, in the state of uh, Thuringen, Thuringia, where a member of your party was elected minister president, um, but with the votes of the far right AFD, uh, which led to um, a, a national outcry, I think it's fair to say. Um, and uh, he resigned that position. Um, uh, but it also caused, I think, some soul searching inside the FDP. Uh, where do things stand? Um, how, how did that mistake? I think everyone agrees it was a mistake. How did that come about? And where do things stand in the FDP now? It was definitely a mistake. It was even a fatal mistake because everybody is discussing now in Germany what happened there in that state of Thuringia. Um, he made that mistake. He uh, um, stepped down from this office of uh, minister-president uh, the day after that. 
but um, as far as he's still acting prime minister uh, therefore the whole the label still sticks and mm -hmm. so therefore we still have that issue as a, as a little bit of a some sort of unsolved issue um, even more important was that the leadership of the FDP of the Free Democrats immediately reacted and said very clearly you have to solve the situation meaning you need to find a way out because we cannot and will never accept that our person our 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 our, our candidate Uh, is elected thanks or due to votes from AFD. Um, there is a watershed line, there's a firewall between uh, uh, the uh, democratically-minded parties who are standing firmly on the basis of our constitution, and that is CDU, SPD, FDP, and Green Party, um, and the AFD is clearly a party which is not standing on the basis of our constitution. Therefore, any cooperation with them, be it direct or indirect, is totally excluded and to let him be elected with the voices uh, with the support of AFD was a mistake we apologized for that and now we are looking forward so just over the weekend there was an election in the city state of hamburg where the fdp um, came close but but f fell just short of the 5% threshold needed to enter the the city um, uh, the government or the um, legislature do you think that was a result of the situation in Turingen? Do you think this has had an, uh, diminished the FDP's national appeal? Well, it had certainly, it, it happened, this state election in Hamburg happened in the immediate aftermath of Turingen, and, and therefore I think it's logical to, to, to see that one of the consequences were, uh, was that a lot of our potential voters still have been irritated. Mm -hmm. uh, in politics, you always need a clear message. And uh, what happened in Turingia was a mistake because it was watering the message. It was not a clear message. We have taken our consequences. Uh, we have uh, especially put in place safeguards that something like that cannot happen again. Mm -hmm. uh, that was very important. We did it in a credible way. Christian Lindner did get a confidence vote in the federal board. Um, uh, and now we're looking forward. But yes, okay. Um, politics, uh, you can win in politics, you can lose in politics. We have uh, a bitter defeat in Hamburg, uh, but we try to draw the right lessons from it. Mm -hmm. And that is for us to stay principled on our issues uh, as a party which stands for, on the one side, fiscal conservatism, and on the other side, civil liberties, which makes our unique FTP classical liberal approach. Mm -hmm. um, and we need to be very, very clear on our program and uh, not uh, giving any any wrong signals that includes by the way also not to be ready to cooperate with the links party which is uh, still you cannot compare it directly with the afd but which is also a party which is not on the basis of our Grundgesetz. Yeah. Let me ask one last question because you've been generous with your time, but I want to try out a, a theory that I discussed with some of my colleagues uh, just yesterday in, the, in a, an upcoming episode of The Zeitgeist. And that is what we see across Eastern Germany uh, last year, um, you, see, you see a um, phenomenon where minister presidents, in other words, uh, recognized leaders, they attract more support as an election comes nearer. That you have this, I wouldn't quite call it a personalization, but you see, there seems to be a sort of a desire from the electorate to have a clear victor. Um, and, and in you know, Saxony, it was the CDU. In Brandenburg, it was this SPD. In Turingen, it was uh, the, the left party, uh, Bodo Ramelow. And, and you Hamburg, saw something in Hamburg that was SPD. similar. Yeah. Um, so yeah. 
is that do you think that is a trend that is uh, and it's not just anecdotal evidence and if that is a trend what does that mean for a party like the FDP which is you know usually around 9 10% uh, in the national polls um, does that disadvantage you if, if german politics and the desires of voters are changing well first of all in the last years we saw an opposite trend uh, you say people want to see a clear winner well the trend in germany was that we have more parliament more political parties in parliament than before uh, so uh, we have less clear winners uh, we had uh, a very difficult situation on the national level when forming a government i'm pretty sure i'm pretty sure that uh, um, we have as a political party which is having a unique political profile we have all the possibilities to have a good result, but certainly only if we stay on message, mm -hmm. if we are very clear on our, on our messages. And there is a unique opportunity for the Free Democrats to bring across that message because the Christian Democrats, nobody knows really what they are standing for today. Yeah? They are a little bit center ground, they are a bit left of center, they are a little bit right of center. You see a leadership contest now in them, where you clearly see the different the different ways how to go, and it's to me it's not clear where they are going. You have social democrats who are who are suffering from the fact that the Christian Democrats occupy some of their mm -hmm. main battleground topics, right. and uh, you have the Greens who are standing for everything what is nice in the world, <laughs> but for nothing what is really standing sometimes for the tough issues uh, when it comes to economy, when it comes to security, etc. So stay on message. And then, of course, you can also have a stable maybe 10 to 12 to 13 percent result, which is crucial for forming the next government. And it's clearly our goal to be in the next government with a strong message. Well, um, and we'll end on that note. Michael Link, I want to thank you for joining us uh, here in Washington for this episode of The Zeitgeist. Uh, and we will look forward to being with all of our listeners uh, again soon. Um, thanks so much for coming by. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to The Zeitgeist, a podcast produced by the American Institute for Contemporary German Studies at Johns Hopkins University. Send us your feedback by email to info at AICGS.org or catch us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at AICGS. Don't forget to check out AICGS.org for more information from today's episode. Auf Wiederhören!